I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. A lot of like antique type of um, things that we saw. Grandfather clocks, right? So that type of vibe. Craftsman staircase. I'm picturing like a thick olive green carpet. (laughs) (laughs) That that might have been there. That might have been there. (laughs) This is Akil and Nisha Dial. They're married and they love going to estate sales. That's when people sell off the belongings of someone who's died. Over the years, they picked up some pretty cool stuff, mostly nice artwork. Back in 2016, they're at an estate sale in Wyckoff, New Jersey, in the New York City suburbs, and they're poking around, searching for treasures. What conclusions could you draw about this guy who had died? Well-read, well, almost traveled in a sense, uh, very worldly. You know, the quiet, cultured, you know, someone who likes to sit around with a a nice glass and have a drink. Old gentleman has a robe on, sits back, you know, in the evening, drinking his whiskey, sitting in front of the grandfather clock, smoking a cigar. Nisha and Akil spot a liquor table in the corner. It's got a lot of items you'd expect from a well-stocked bar. Remy Martin, Corvassier, a few bottles of champagne. So then we came across this particular one. It definitely looked, you know, old, vintage. Yeah, it definitely looked older. That's a Ray Pavlik private stock, blended Scotch whiskey, distilled in Scotland, imported exclusively for the Nutcracker Inn in Garfield, New Jersey. Nisha and Akil have never heard of Ray Pavlik Scotch whiskey. The bottle is green glass with a yellowed label and fancy font. Looks kind of like how they write the New York Times. The bottle's open. It's about half full. Not unusual for an estate sale. You know, we weren't, you know, connoisseurs of whiskey, but we knew that age matters. So we figured, okay, this one looks old, looks vintage. It was very different. You know, it wasn't something you could just buy at the store. Nisha and Akil buy the bottle for about 15 bucks. They may not be huge whiskey drinkers, but they are collectors. They bring it home. And because they're in the process of moving... We brought it in and kind of stored it in our closet, uh, where one day, <laughs> when we get older, we'll, we'll crack open these bottles. <laughs> one day you'll sit in your robes by the fireplace with the grandfather clock and drink scotch. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> that closet is where the bottle stays for five years. Akil and Nisha never have a single sip of it. Then, about a year ago, they have a friend over. And this friend actually is a whiskey connoisseur. They remember that bottle of Ray Pavlik private stock and pull it out to show him. Immediately, he says, I don't recognize this brand. So first thing that you do, start Googling it and still no results. Wait, wait. you Googled this scotch and there were zero results? There were, there were zero results. So d- did you Google the in? I actually didn't think to. Remember, the label says this whiskey was bottled exclusively for the Nutcracker Inn. The Nutcracker Inn in Garfield, New Jersey. Hang on one sec. Nutcracker in, nope, it's not coming up. Mm. Yeah, I don't see it either. Wow. The address is uh, 237 Palisade Avenue in Garfield. 237 Palisade Avenue, Garfield, New Jersey. No business is coming up. I'm on Google Earth right now. 235 is Leon's Kitchen Chinese Restaurant. What's this one? Nope. That's 239. Wait a second. 
the Chinese restaurant is 235 Palisade Avenue, Garfield, New Jersey. The very next house, 239. There is no 237 Palisade Avenue in Garfield, New Jersey. (laughs) Whoa. I just got chills. Did you just get chills? So, we've got a bottle of scotch that Nisha and Akil bought off a dead guy. As far as the internet knows, the brand, Ray Pavlik Private Stock, doesn't exist. And the inn for which it was bottled is at a location that doesn't show up on maps. Finding this bottle feels like catching a ghost. Where did it come from? How did it get here? What's its life story? And what does it taste like? I am determined to find out. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And today, we're attempting to solve a whiskey mystery. I ask Akil and Nisha to get me any details they can recall about the house where they bought the bottle. If we can find the identity of the dead guy, he might have friends or relatives with clues. Nisha and Akil also agree to look into the bottling company named on the back label. I tell them I'll dig into the Ray Pavlik brand and the Nutcracker Inn. All right, sounds good. That sounds great. Now, I'm no whiskey expert, but I do know a couple things. Scotch is a type of whiskey that must come from Scotland. The fanciest, most expensive scotch is single malt, meaning everything in the bottle is made from malted barley in one distillery. A blend can be a mix of grain and malt whiskeys from different distilleries. Blends are usually considered lower shelf, and this Ray Pavlik Scotch whiskey is a blend. So I don't think it's very valuable. But to me, that makes this more intriguing. Like, why would this person who lives in a house with a grandfather clock and a craftsman staircase hang on to a cheap, no-name bottle of scotch, save it seemingly for decades among all the fancy bottles? As I begin my search for answers, the first person I think of is my friend Noah Rothbaum. He's been writing about spirits for nearly 20 years. I send him photos of the label. He writes back right away and asks for more photos. He wants to see the tax stamp on the bottle. That's usually the little paper seal that breaks when you twist off the cap. I have no idea why he would want that, but the fact that he knows to ask for it makes me think I've come to the right person. I get a photo of it from Akil and Nisha, send it along, and wait. Meanwhile, I start looking into the Nutcracker Inn and the mysterious 237 Palisade Ave address. And I know just who to call about that. Hey, so quick question for you. Um, I'm working on a Sporkful episode, and I thought maybe you would like to be a part of it and help out with it. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So is this couple? This is my brother, Howard. He's a lawyer in New Jersey who does some work with property law, and he's got a Ph.D. in history, so he knows a thing or two about searching through old records. Frankly, he's perfect for this assignment. I bring him up to speed. He sits down in front of his laptop and begins poking around. I can tell he's very excited for our mission. Let's see. Uh, Would that be it? (laughs) Let's see. All right, that doesn't help. Are you just Googling, or are you looking through some sort of special historian archive database? It's a special archive that only I have access to as someone who has a PhD. Seriously? No, of course not. Howard clicks around, looks at the county clerk's website, then the county land records. Eventually, he lands on a local tax assessor's website and navigates to the section that says Tax Parcel Viewer. He pulls up a map of Palisade Ave and zooms in looking for some trace of 237. 
If we were in CSI, this is the moment where he'd be in front of the computer and I'd be over his shoulder being like, enhance, enhance. Something catches his eye. The lot for 235 is exactly twice as big as all the others. It's a double lot. It's possible that the lots were combined. You know, it's possible that that doesn't exist anymore. The reason you can't find it uh, is that it was essentially combined with another lot at some point. So, so what is now 235, like that same building or piece of land, could, could be where the inn was? Exactly. It's not that strange that the lots may have been combined. Um, you know, the inn, if it went under a long time ago, or who knows, maybe it was imported as a joke. Maybe there really wasn't a nutcracker inn. Maybe it was just somebody who liked scotch, who always invited their friends over for, you know, poker night on Fridays or something like that, and they called themselves the Nutcracker Inn. So it's possible there was never actually a Nutcracker Inn to begin with. This is what it's like being in a family of lawyers. Everyone's like, is this reality? Are we even alive? I can't commit to an answer. Me, I'm still optimistic. I call the Garfield town historian, thinking they might have details on all this. I leave a few messages. Then I check back in with Nisha and Akil. They must have some good news for me, right? Nope. The bottling company, long closed. The exact location of the estate sale, they can't remember it. Nisha does have the name of the company that hosted the sale, but after a month of phone tag with them, we hear back, and they lost the records. So then I think, hey, usually after an estate sale, the house is sold, right? Maybe we can get a list of all the houses sold in the area and look through obituaries from the same time period that we can cross-reference them and narrow it down. But we quickly realize we do not have the time or resources for that kind of investigation. At this point, we basically have a cork board with photos of whiskey bottles, Google map searches, and property records. Strings of red yarn all over the place, none of them leading anywhere. And then? This bottle is more interesting than most that people ask me about. After the break, our whiskey expert gets back in touch with some surprising findings. Stick around. Advertisements. Yummy. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. 
Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line... They take cruising to another level, and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn Best Buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. Hey, make sure you check out last week's show. I talked with Wendy Acefo, a real housewife of Potomac. First real housewife we've ever had on The Sporkful. She's also a Johns Hopkins professor and a food lover and the first Nigerian-American real housewife. Let me tell you something. She is dead set on making sure her kids know how to make Nigerian food. I never want them to Google how to make jollof rice and they use some recipe from some Canadian who has no idea... <laughs> What the hell jollof rice is? And they're like, hmm, I wonder if that's how grandma made it. Heck no, that's not how grandma made it. This is a great conversation that also gets into Wendy's complicated relationship with her mother and how that has played out through food over the years. It's up now. Check it out. Now, back to the mystery of the ghost whiskey. 
You'll recall I outsourced some of my sleuthing to Noah Rothbaum. He's the author of The Art of American Whiskey and the associate editor of the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. It's a reference book. It's close to 900 pages long. It's not a cheap book, but if you uh, average it out by the pound, it's actually a pretty good buy. Think, so. <laughs> As I said, I don't know a whole lot about whiskey. So Noah gives me a quick primer on how he approaches research. Remember how he asked me to send a photo of the tax stamp? Turns out the tax stamp can tell you a lot. Obviously, the government, since almost the beginning of the U.S., has been trying to tax the production of alcohol, right? That's what the whole whiskey rebellion's about. After the revolution, the U.S. government had a lot of debt and decided to tax distilled liquors. People didn't like that. Hence, back in the late 1700s, rebellion. Ever since that time, all whiskey bottles are required to have tax stamps on them. And those tax stamps offer clues. Basically, they change the tax stamp over time. So that's one way to date a bottle because most bottles don't have a date. So I called my friend Edgar Hardin in the UK. He does a company called the Old Spirits Company where they buy and sell bottles. And he was saying that basically, like before 73, the tax stamp would say the name of the importer or distributor. And since this one does not... It means it's from after 1973, and he thought from his expert opinion of looking at tax stamps all day and night that it's probably from the mid-70s, like the bottle, which if you told me that I would find tax stamps, like, fascinating, you know, before <laughs> everything. Okay, so the bottle is from the mid-70s, which turns out to be a key period in Scotch history. In 1975, is kind of the high watermark for sales of Scotch in America. At the time, almost all Scotch, except for a very little bit, is blend. Blended scotch is huge. After 75, the whole market crashes. The distillers have to kind of reinvent themselves. This crash Noah's talking about, for years, distilleries were overproducing whiskey. Then in the mid-70s, there was a cultural shift. Younger people saw whiskey as the stuff their parents drank. The cool kids wanted vodka and rum. So whiskey companies had to do something. So they create this whole idea that single malts are for connoisseurs, Blends are kind of for rubes, and, you know, people in Scotland have always drunk single malt, which is not true <laughs> for the okay. most part. Right. But um, the blends back in the day were, were incredibly good, where now, obviously, mostly we talk about single malts. So a blend from the 70s might have been high-quality stuff. After inspecting the tax stamp, Noah did something else that, honestly, I can't believe I didn't think to do. This whole time, I had been searching for Ray Pavlik private stock, Ray Pavlik scotch whiskey. I was looking for Ray Pavlik like it was a brand or a company. But Noah was searching for a person named Ray Pavlik, and he found one. Ray Pavlik was a almost lifelong resident of New Jersey who ran kind of a local institution called the Nutcracker Inn in Garfield. He was the owner of the Nutcracker Inn. And ran it for like 30 years. Noah does have a subscription to a special database full of old newspaper articles, which helped his hunt. With that, all he had to do was punch in Ray Pavlik, Garfield, New Jersey, and boom, there's our guy. Noah tells me back in the 70s, it was pretty common for a bar to have their own private label bottles. Restaurants, airlines, hotels, essentially anyone could order a generic bottle of liquor from a distillery and slap their own name on it. Literally, the bar next door could have the exact same scotch with their name on it in a different bottle, and that's still done today. So this was either for people who were drinking at the Nutcracker Inn 
or you could possibly purchase it like as an alternative to J&B or Cuddy Sark. Was it actually an inn or was it like a bar and tavern that was just called an inn? It was a bar like that was called like an okay, inn. Okay, okay. So they weren't having overnight guests. Not on purpose anyway, I don't <laughs> think. You know what I mean? Right. Noah says while some blends from the 70s were very good, he's not super optimistic about how this one might taste. If you note from the, the label, it's very ornate, right? You know, it looks private stock and it's the lettering is, it seems very impressive. If you look closely, it says, you know, by popular requests, you know, special liqueurs. And it's almost a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Where it's like the lady doth protest too much. What Noah's saying is this label looks like it's trying very hard to convince you that the liquor inside is super fancy. To him, it looks like it's trying a little too hard. When Akil, Nisha, and I looked at the label and the name of the Nutcracker Inn, we imagined an esteemed international hotel or maybe a cozy upscale B&B that served rare imported spirits. But what Noah's describing to me sounds more like a dive bar. As he kept poking through old newspaper articles, Noah eventually landed on Ray Pavlik's obituary. He died in 1999. He was born in River Edge, New Jersey, which is not too far from there. He was a volunteer fireman. He had been like a member of the Civil Defense Special Police. He even ran for councilman several times. And Ray had lived almost his whole life, except for eight years in Florida, in Orlando, in New Jersey. This is like a Springsteen song, right? I mean, he's living the dream. He's running the bar. People know him. He's got his name on a bottle of scotch. I mean, this is like... Who wouldn't want to go there on a happy hour for, you know, uh, some, some of his Ray Pavlik's private stock on the rocks? I'd like to think of his sort of the unofficial councilman of Garfield, you know, holding court behind his bar, which, I mean, that's really the traditional purpose of a bar. This was where people did business. This is where people came to socialize. You know, they were the heart of the town. I love a bar that's a real, like, community gathering spot. This is really a piece of New Jersey history that you found. I feel like almost we should have Bruce Springsteen in the background singing a, a song about um, Ray Pavlik and, and, and this bottle. Forget Thunder Road. This is the story of New Jersey right here. I love that, Noah, but I'm not fully satisfied. I, I, oh, no. I mean, this thank you. Thank you. This has been right. fantastic. You did an incredible job with your research. But I'm still curious to learn more about Ray Pavlik and the Nutcracker Inn. I have an image forming in my head of who Ray Pavlik was, what his bar was like, but it's still very fuzzy. I want to talk to someone who actually knew Ray, someone who's actually been to the Nutcracker, spent time there. What was it like? Who were the characters inside? As I'm wondering about this, I get an email from my brother, Howard. He acted like he wasn't into this, but meanwhile, he's been pouring through archives on the hunt and he's dug up an old land deed. Turns out, he was right. The lots were combined. So 237 Palisade Ave is now part of 235 Palisade Ave. Then I finally hear back from the Garfield Town historian, who's never heard of the Nutcracker, but sends a few clips from old newspapers, including one with a picture of the bar. I pull up Google Earth and compare the Chinese restaurant at 235 Palisade Ave to the picture. It's a match. This is confirmation. The Nutcracker was 237, Leon's Kitchen is 235, but they're the same building. The Nutcracker is still standing. Now I just need to find someone who stood inside it. After a lot of snooping on Facebook and more than a few wrong numbers, I find a couple people who fit the bill. My name is James Donald Pavlik. I'm Vincent William Pavlik. We lived above the bar. 
It was a three-story house. Jimmy and Vinny are brothers. Ray Pavlik was their dad. Their mom was Carol Pavlik. Today, Jimmy's 43 and Vinny's 33. They have a bunch of siblings who are much older, and the entire family lived above the bar in the 80s. Jimmy and Vinny were very young when their parents were running the Nutcracker, so they don't have many firsthand memories of the place. But 237, or now 235, Palisade Ave, still means a lot to them and their family. My dad lived in the bar. He woke up 6 a.m. and he bartended until 12. He ran the whole place. My dad loved that bar. It was all his friends. All his friends were the drunks. They would all come there and hang out, from what my mom told us. From what Jimmy and Vinny tell me, the Nutcracker was a pretty classic, simple joint. One big room with a pool table and a jukebox. Sometimes, as the night wore on, Ray would fall asleep behind the bar. Patrons would pour their own beers and leave cash by the tap. Even as a little kid, Jimmy was in and out of the place. I used to shoot pool with a lot of people that went there. I would enter pool tournaments, and they all knew me. It's definitely an older folks' bar. They would come after work and they would sit at the bar and just shoot the stuff and talk and drink until dad kicked them out, basically. It it wasn't a hip, trendy place. Oh, no. (laughs) No, the only time it was hip and trendy is probably when my brothers and sisters would take the bar over when my parents went bowling. Oh, what happened those nights? I was bowling with my parents, so I couldn't tell you. (laughs) God knows. Ray's wife, Carol, worked during the day as a nurse, but she was a key fixture at the bar, too, sometimes cooking chicken and dumplings for the patrons for dinner. She kept a cot in the back for people who sometimes slept at the bar instead of attempting to drive home. Nobody called her by her name. She was mom to everybody. For Jimmy and Vinny, talking about the Nutcracker clearly brings back warm memories, especially about their parents. But as we keep talking, it becomes clear it wasn't all rosy. And what about your mom's role in everything? What do you think her feelings were about the bar? Well, I believe, now I don't know this because it was before my time, but I believe at one point she was an alcoholic. And so she probably didn't care much for the bar because she never really drank again in her life. Jimmy and Vinny say it was the same for Ray. He was an alcoholic at one point, from my understandings. I've heard stories. From my understandings, it was when he was in the Army. When he was younger, he used to he used to drink a lot. And what was your impression of the place? How did it look to you as a 10-year-old? I didn't like it because a lot of the guys would pee themselves. and <laughs> So I've seen a lot of stuff, a lot of fights, a lot of nothing I would want to live with on a daily basis. So that's... It's quite a thing to think about two recovering alcoholics running a bar (laughs) that was partly patronized by alcoholics based on what you're telling me. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people that came, though, were like family to them. Mm -hmm. Like there's certain points where some of them lived in our basement. I still talk to some of them. Ray and Carol ran the place for about 30 years, starting in the 1960s. The Nutcracker caught fire twice and suffered some pretty bad damage. They rebuilt both times. By the late 80s, Ray was getting older and started having some health issues. One day, while working behind the bar, he had a major heart attack. Running the bar became too much. In 1991, he and Carol sold the Nutcracker and moved down to Florida, along with Jimmy and Vinny, the youngest of their kids. But they took pieces of the bar with them. The house in Florida became a sort of museum dedicated to the bar. 
Didn't we have the jukebox on the porch? Yeah. We had um, all the little trinkets, like Budweiser trinkets and all that stuff, always hung up on the cabinets and all that. I remember um, the pool table lights being in the attic. So I, I should tell you why I'm so interested in your father's story and the Nutcracker. I host a food podcast, as I'm sure you So know. when we reached out to Jimmy and Vinny, we told them we were interested in their father and his story, but we didn't give them details. This whole time we're on Zoom together, they're looking at me kind of funny, like, why do you want to know so much about our dad's old bar? And what does this have to do with us? So I fill them in on how Akil and Nisha found this mysterious bottle of scotch at an estate sale, how my friend Noah dated the bottle from the tax stamp, how we traced it to their father and now to them. So I'm going to share my screen with you. I'm going to show you a picture of the bottle. You ready? Oh, shit. Oh, my God. It's crazy. Are you serious? That's so crazy. Ray Pavlik private stock, blended scotch, whiskey, distilled in Scotland. Imported exclusively for the Nutcracker Inn, 237 Palisade Ave, Garfield, New Jersey. Wow. That's what it says. That is insane. Wow. Never knew that. Me either. How come I don't have a bottle of that? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I get kind of teary-eyed just seeing his name on the bottle. You know how I am. I'm a big sap. I've never seen this. I've never, I've never seen or heard about this. What do you think this tells you about your dad? That he wanted to be, uh, he wanted, he wanted his bar to be known. He loved what he did, obviously. Yeah. When he was passing away, everybody came to visit him. I didn't know my dad was so popular. I grew up in Florida, so it's like when we came to Jersey for his burial, it was insane. They had the police. They had the fire department. They had There was hundreds of people, right, Jim? It was over 400. I was like, dude, who is this guy? To the Pavliks, the Nutcracker was more than just a bar. It anchored their lives, for better or worse. Their friends were the customers. Their whole family lived above it. There was a pool in the backyard where the kids would swim in the summer. Like my other brothers and sisters, like jumping off the roof into the pool. And my dad would be running the bar and everybody would run up to him. Jimmy would run up to him, get quarters to go to the arcade. And he, he loved the bar. He was always in the bar. He was talking to his friends. And like Jimmy said, everybody was family who went to that bar. So I would definitely see him doing this type of thing just to be like, yeah, I'm Ray Pavlik, and this is my bar, and look, this is my whiskey. I'm still blown away by the bottle. I, the whole time we've been talking, I've been staring at it. Me too. Like, like it's going to talk to me or something. I'm like just blown away, blown away. Hey, Dan. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Is there any way I could, like, come see the bottle in person? On a sunny day in early October, I'm standing on Palisade Ave outside Leon's Kitchen in Garfield, New Jersey. It's a pretty main road, a combination of two-story apartment buildings, row houses, and storefronts. A coin laundromat, a convenience store, a printing press that looks like it closed. I'm with Akil and Nisha, and I've hinted that one more person will be joining us. But I haven't told them who. Yeah, that's him. Hey, man. Great to meet you in person. Nice to meet you. So, Vinny, this is Akil. Hey, how are you? This is Nisha. Hi. Vinny, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So, I, I didn't really tell Akil and Nisha who else was coming. We're at 235 Palisade Avenue in Garfield, New Jersey. How does it feel to be here, Vinny? 
Um, I actually was just by here the other day, just to make sure I knew where it was. <laughs> Vinny lives nearby. He moved back to Jersey as an adult. Jimmy couldn't make it. He still lives in Florida, in the same house that he and Vinny grew up in with all the trinkets from the bar. So Akil Anisha, in case it's not clear, Vinny's full name is? Vincent Pavlik. This is Vinny Pavlik. Ray yeah. Pavlik was his father. Yep. Hearing this, Akil and Nisha seem in shock. By this point, they had heard the story of Ray Pavlik. They knew he died. Seeing someone with such a close connection to Ray, standing right in front of them, it's almost like they're seeing a ghost. When he showed me the yeah. bottle, I said, oh my goodness, like, where did you guys get that? Akil and Nisha tell Vinny about how they got the bottle, about the estate sale and the old house with the grandfather clock, about how the bottle of Ray Pavlik private stock caught their eye. So Akil and Nisha bought this bottle knowing nothing about it. What do you want them to know about it? That my dad put a lot of hard work and like all his time and effort into the bar and into selling liquor and having a good time. And he had people that literally lived here. Home away from home. Yeah, home away from home, basically. I think we should break out the bottle. I'm down. Let's have a look. Akil pulls the bottle out of the bag he's carrying. This is so awesome, guys. Listen, this is like a part of Garfield history right here. Are we gonna take a shot? Yeah. Let me go get my girl real quick. Yeah, yeah. Vinny's fiance, Jackie, was waiting in the car. He goes to bring her over so she can see the bottle too. This is Jackie. Hi. Oh, hey, Jackie. Hi. I'm, I'm Dan, oh, nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Hi. <laughs> it's time for a toast. I brought plastic cups. All right, Vinny, why, why don't you do the honors? All right. Am I right, Akil Nisha, this is the first time this bottle's been opened. That's right. That's you, right. you bought it seven or eight years ago. Wait, you didn't even try it yet? No, wow. they, they haven't tried it. That's awesome. <laughs> so the last person who may have drank that bottle is a family member. Yeah. That's amazing. Could Which have been is... your dad. <laughs> All right. Cheers. 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 To Ray. To Ray and Carol. All right. Ray and Carol. Ooh. That's good. Delicious. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> It's actually really smooth. Akil Nisha, thoughts? It's really good. Delicious. It went down than I thought. I am, yeah, that I went am down nice. flabbergasted at how good that tasted. <laughs> no, seriously. I did not expect- That bottle is what, 50 years old? Yes, and typically like alcohol doesn't technically go bad, now. but the water can ev evaporate, evaporate and it can lose some of its smoothness. This is delicious. Let <laughs> me finish it off here. Too. Yeah. Oh, thanks man. Listen, thank you guys. Of course, now look, um, Obviously, you know how much this means to you, your family, the history you have here. So, are you really using the bottle? Yes, we Love for you to have it. It is. Uh, we know how much sentimental value and stuff it is. I have to cry now. <laughs> Thank you guys. You I appreciate it. Every day, anytime he gets a chance. This is amazing. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm a big sap, so it's like, <laughs> imagine Jimmy was here. We would have been balling. Honestly, this is a one of one, and this is gonna go right in my brother's house, and it's gonna go right on the top, right with all his other stuff. So, I, I appreciate it so much. Before we wrap up, one more thing. Noah Rothbaum was right. This whole story does sound like it should be a Bruce Springsteen song. So we decided to write the song we think Bruce would write. As a native New Jerseyan myself, whose first concert was Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band in Giant Stadium on the Born in the USA tour, thank you very much, I think I'm well qualified to write the lyrics. 
To write the music and perform the song, we have Jeff Morgenstern. He's a Bruce fan who was also born in New Jersey, but most importantly, he's the father of Sporkful senior producer Emma Morgenstern. And he's a musician. So here's our song, Palisade Ave, in its entirety. Closed down a steel mill in Garfield late last year Went down the rain carols just to get me a scotch and a beer They said if I fall asleep, son Drink up everything that I have It's gonna be a long night down on Palisade Ave Back in high school, Bobby was the star of the team Now he's ten drinks in, trying to figure out what it all means When I sit in this place, seems the world outside ain't so bad Leave my cash on the bar and head out to Palisade Out In the same Granddad was the mayor But me, I got expelled for bad behavior I drove by your house just looking for a savior In Jersey, everybody's saying their prayers That is Jeff Morgenstern. To us, he's most famous for being the father of Sporkful senior producer Emma Morgenstern. But when he's not singing, he's the executive director of Spanish River Concerts in South Florida. Check out their amazing line of shows at SpanishRiverConcerts.org. Casey Holford mixed the song and consulted on its production. Thanks to Eric the Killer Kilburn at Wellspring Sound Studio, who produced the track and played bass and guitar. We had Seattle Scotty Shetler on sax, Big C Mike Connors on drums, and Joey Bats, Joey Barbato on piano and organ. I just made up all those nicknames. Those are not officially sanctioned nicknames by those people, but Bruce nicknames the people in his band, so we're going to go with it. And while we're giving shout-outs to family members, I want to thank Janie. 
For logistical reasons, I was in Garfield with my whole family, as were Akil and Nisha. Janie set up a coloring activity on the sidewalk and entertained all four kids so the rest of us could drink scotch and record. Thank you, Janie. You're the best. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer Emma Morgenstern and producers Andres O'Hara and Johanna Mayer. The show is mixed by Casey Holford. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Colin Anderson and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Brittany from Rahway, New Jersey, reminding you to eat more, eat better, eat more better. <laughs>